something's moving, it's the Holy Spirit. Where something's changing, it's people's lives are changing. How many realize that we are in the house of the Lord? This is the Father's house this morning. That the Father's house is a place of blessing. And as long as we stay in the Father's house, we're in the house of provision, protection, and healing, and God's blessing. Before you're seated, give him praise one more time. You may be seated. It's good to be in the Lord's house, this place of blessing. But I have to tell you, though, the day that you decide to leave the Father's house, to take control of your own life, to believe you have, no longer have need of the Heavenly Father, and you choose the things of the world over your Father because you've been convinced that the grass is greener on the other side, you can become cursed. In Numbers 22, I want to use as a prelude to my main text today. It speaks of a king named King Balak, who was king of the Moabites. He was the enemy of God's people, Israel. He wants to hire a prophet named Balaam to curse the Israelites. He believes if he can curse God's people, then he can destroy them. Well, upon Balaam trying to curse Israel's, things didn't go so well. He ended up cursed himself. And the point of that passage is this. The enemy can't curse what God has blessed. Come on, somebody. God's favor was upon Israel. And as long as Israel stayed in the Father's house, the place of blessing, they were protected. But every time Israel felt they no longer had need of their father, and they wanted to do things their way, they would be cursed and the enemy would try to destroy them. They would become prodigal, reckless in their faith. When I'm referring today to staying in the Father's house, I'm referencing staying in a relationship with our Heavenly Father, staying under His covering, His protection, His provisions, and His blessings. The place of blessing where you're highly favored and the enemy can't curse you. But the minute you walk out from under his covering, you are prey to your enemy. And what's happening in our nation right now is God is calling his sons and daughters from afar back home. Those that have been deceived, led astray, chewed up, and spit out and cursed by this world, causing a revival to brew. The revival of this hour is all about the harvest and about bringing people back into the Father's house a place of blessing. In the Father's house, there is a place for you. Now, there are many spirits at work in our nation right now. They are, these are the spirits of the Antichrist, planning and plotting and trying to destroy God's people. Today, I want to deal significantly with a spirit that is receiving so many, leading so many to be vulnerable to temptation, pulling men and women and children from the God's foe, the place of blessing. This spirit operates on our minds and deceiving many. It's known as a restless spirit. So many people in our society are full of anxiety, and they're not content no more with their lives. Anxiety is at an all-time high in men, women, and even our children. And church, it is not of God. His word tells us to be anxious for nothing. It's being driven by a spirit that lures you away from God, 
to a place where once you're separated from God, he will then attempt to destroy you. It's that voice that convinces you to leave God's place of blessing for worldly pleasures. Now, if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke 15. It's a very familiar passage of Scripture to many this morning. And immediately, many of you, when you get there, you'll recognize this passage has to do with the prodigal son. And many of you are saying, I've heard this before. Well, I'm not so sure you've heard this perspective of this passage before. Let's glean something new from the Word of God this morning. Because today, I'm dealing with the Spirit. I'm fixing to do warfare with it. It's become a very dominant spirit in our culture, and it's not of God. It's called a restless spirit. Now, that statement alone should have just showed you, a lot of you, this message is going to be more relevant to you than you thought. Some of you just started wiggling in your seats. Why? That spirit is noticing I'm talking about it. And it's starting to be concerned and curious and nervous as to what God's fixing to say about it, and it should be. That spirit has been at work far too long and not been dealt with. It's been so subtle, yet for so many years so effective. But God declares today, I'm fixing to expose it for what it is. You see, many of us have been affected by it, but you've never recognized it, what it was and what's been causing you so much trouble in your life. You've been thinking it's natural. Oh, no, honey, it is spiritual and it is real. Anxiety is not a medical condition. That's why medicine can't cure it. It is a spiritual condition. Why you've been thinking that is because you see so many other people just like you who are dealing with the same thing and how right you are. There are a majority of people dealing with the same problem too. That's our problem. We always think the majority is right. If everybody else is doing it, it must be right. No, let me help you today. The majority is not always right. This spirit is so rampant, it's reached to the majority of our culture. If you haven't noticed, our culture is changing rapidly. There's no such thing as patience and waiting anymore. It's a I want it and I want it now culture. No such thing as commitment. Many can't be faithful to anything anymore for a long period of time. Why? It's a restless spirit. So let me sum it up by saying this. It's a microwave. If it feels good, do it. Never stick to it. Evolving society driven by a restless spirit, and it's not of God. And it brings forth cursing and not blessing. So let's dig into it and see if the Word of God agrees. We have here in this passage a father in our text that has two sons. The only other character named in this text is a nameless man in a far-off country. The youngest son attaches himself to during his time of rebellion. So in this text, we have four expressed characters and one implied character. His name's never mentioned, and no practical reference is ever made to him. But there is this character who is implied to exist in this passage we need to talk about. And I'll name him. His name is Satan. He's never in the forefront or publicly viewed, but he's there. He's hidden, subtle, undermining, plotting to destroy God's people and rob them of their blessings. His strength is when he remains anonymous, invisible to the natural eye. He does his best work in the shadows behind the scenes. So although his name's not expressed in this passage, he's implied to be involved. So we now have a certain man who has two sons. And the younger of the two says to his father, Give unto me the portions of goods that falls to me. In other words, give me my inheritance. Now, we all know when it's most likely when you receive your inheritance. 
is when your father dies. But this father here is still very much alive. Now, because he has asked his father for his inheritance, portion of goods, we presume, assume that he is a very greedy boy. I want to clear up that assumption a bit right here. That young man wasn't about just being greedy. This is not about a rags to riches story. He's not somebody from the poor side of town. His father, by description, was apparently a very wealthy man. This young boy has not been raised in an impoverished home. This passage makes reference to him having servants in his house. He has a blessed lifestyle. He wasn't coming to his father asking for money so he could change his standard of living. He wasn't coming to his father asking for money so he could change anything in his life. Ask his father for his possessions. Wouldn't make him any richer than he already was. He was already blessed. He already had servants. He had nice clothes. He had a nice house. He ate well. He had people waiting on him, hand and foot. So the problem wasn't he, he, was, wasn't, he was, wasn't satisfied with just the blessings of the house. He wanted control of the house too. He wanted power, and he wanted it now. So we're not looking at greed of lust for money as much as we're looking at lust for power. He not only wanted money, he wanted control of his money. He figured as long as he was in this house, he could have money but couldn't control it. So he became restless, and he could no longer wait patiently for control. He believed he could reach, do such a better job with it. He wanted it, and he wanted it now. Just being blessed wasn't enough anymore. He was saying, Father, even though you bless me, it's not enough anymore. Just give me control of mine so I can do what I want, when I want, however I want. There's got to be more to life than this. He has a restless spirit operating in his life, and it has tempted him to rebel against his father. And the boy was saying, give me to me. I can do so much more with it outside the house. This house has boundaries. It has rules and unnecessary structure, he thought. He believed, I don't need all that. I need to be free. Never realizing those were the things that assured him of his blessings, the things that assured him of his freedom. Independency does not ensure blessing. You cannot be independent and married at the same time. Dependency is what unites and brings the right sources together. Independency divides oneself from needful sources necessary to assure blessing. Now, I want you to notice a detail or two. It was the younger son who came to the father asking for his part, not the older son. But the Bible says the father divided unto them his living. So even though the younger son made the request, because the, the father divided to both of them. Here, you want yours? Well, you might as well go ahead and get yours too. But how they handled what was given to them was totally different. It's important to notice the younger boy got blessed and the older boy got blessed. The younger took his and after a few days bailed and yet the older boy stayed in the father's house. Isn't it funny how folks treat blessings different? I know of two young girls, their dad died. They both received an inheritance. One spent hers and was broke in two years the other probably still has every penny she had. Also funny how some folks change due to blessing. Some people can receive a blessing from God. It will raise their standard of living, and they'll be endured with spiritual power and authority, and they still remain humble. And yet other folks, when they get two dimes and nickel, they start acting different. Like all of a sudden they don't have time for you, or they think they're a little bit better than you now. They can't handle authority or blessing. It goes through the head. They get all puffed up and prideful. One good blessing, and they can't even speak to you anymore. 
You know what I'm talking about. They finally get a dress that costs over $150, and then it's like, girl, you better get back and get away from me. Don't you touch me now. The younger brother exemplifies this situation. He received his blessing, and it wasn't long till he was gone. Why? He had a restless spirit. He had been convinced beyond this house, there's a world out there that I'm going to conquer it. Now, before I go any further about this passage, there is a doctrine I want to interject that will be relevant to my text. It's implied in it. It is the doctrine of Balaam, the one mentioned in the book of Revelation. The Bible declares the doctrine of Balaam is a doctrine God hates. For those who aren't familiar with this doctrine, I want to introduce it to you right here because it is subtle. It's at work in our passage. If you'll stay with me, I'm going somewhere with this. The doctrine of Balaam is Satan using someone or something to tempt God's people into cursing themselves. As in the case of this passage I mentioned in my opening, Balak implored Balaam to put a curse on the nation of Israel, and upon Balaam disobeying God, he ended up cursed himself. He found out he couldn't curse Israel because God had blessed Israel. You can't curse what God has blessed, and as a result, Balaam became cursed himself. Based upon that fact, you need to know today, if you are blessed by God, you don't have to live in fear of being cursed. Because hell can't curse what God has blessed. Look at somebody and say, I'm blessed. Don't try to curse me. Sometimes we're too, too timid to tell someone that I'm blessed. Oh, but we don't mind telling someone, well, look at my $2,000 diamond ring. But so often we can't affiliate with the, affiliated with the words that God has blessed me with this ring. Because after all, it was Bob who went and bought it and placed it on your finger. You can't recognize it was God who placed Bob in your life and gave Bob a good paying job so Bob could afford to buy it and give it to you. All too often we brag more about the blessing than we do the blesser. From time to time, you need to let people know you're blessed and that it don't take a $2,000 ring to validate that fact. You were blessed when you woke up this morning with breath in your body, and you still got your spouse, you still got your kids and your grandkids. You're blessed when you got a job to go to. Whether it's a good job or a bad job, you got a job. You got a car, whether it's a new car or an old car, yet you got a car. You got a lot of money or you're barely getting by, but at least you're getting by. Paul said, I have learned to be content in whatever state I find myself in, whether I'm abased or abounding, whether I got plenty or not enough. You see, my shirt don't have that Nike symbol and my shirt don't have that little duck on it, but that's okay with me because I consider myself blessed just to have a shirt on my back this morning. <laughs> Hallelujah. And I wish I would have known all this when I was growing up in school. See, in my school days, the name on your shoes mattered. At least I was made to believe that at a young age. That probably hasn't changed. My address even mattered because where I live, it determined who I could hang out with. I grew up on the poorest side of town, restricting me from certain opportunities. Yet knowing what I know now, I was still blessed back then. I had a family that loved me. I still had friends. 
I wasn't born crippled. I didn't starve to death. It might have been cornbread and milk for supper, but I was alive and I was blessed. <laughs> Hallelujah. I had more fun as a child with making something out of nothing than these young kids of today who have everything and act like they ain't got nothing. I remember having an Xbox when I was little. You say, no way. Way back then? Oh, yeah. It was a cardboard box, and we drew an X on it, and we would see who could hit it first with a rock. I was blessed. Come on, somebody. There is power in being blessed when you understand what blessed is. All that stuff, cars, houses, money, that's just symptoms of being blessed. But that's not the root of being blessed. Because the real truth of the matter is you can be broke, busted, and disgusted and still be blessed. You may have to ride a cab to work, wear your sister's shoes, carry your mama's old purse with nothing in it but a brush, and come to church and still be blessed. For a man's life does not consist in the abundance of the things that he possesses. Blessed goes deeper than what a CPA can account for or what you can hang in your closet or carry to the cleaners or that you can take to a mechanic to fix. Blessed goes deeper than things. Blessed isn't always physical or tangible. It is an invisible state of being when the favor of God is upon your life. And hell has a tough time trying to defeat you when you're blessed. It's when no weapon formed against you shall prosper. When hell can't stop you and the world can't control you. When the enemy has thrown his best shot at you, but you're still standing after all these years. If you ain't never been through hell and back, you don't know what I'm talking about this morning. But I believe there's some soldiers of the faith that can stand up in here and testify, I am an overcomer by the blood of the Lamb and the words of my testimony. I'm blessed. If that's you, stand up and give God praise and signify to the devil, I'm still standing. I'm blessed going in. I'm blessed coming out. I'm blessed. I'm I'm highly favored of God. Hallelujah. I'm blessed. Hallelujah. Praise God this morning. Now, there's many definitions for blessed. One of the definitions given for blessed is happy. And happy is okay, but it's a little weak for the definition of blessed. Because happy comes from the Latin word hap, where we get the word happen. So something has to happen for us to be happy. Bingo, that's it. But I want you to know, you can be blessed when nothing's happening. You can be blessed simply for the fact, although nothing has happened, you know something's going to happen. How many of you get excited when you call the lady at the tourist office and book your cruise? Why? You ain't even went yet. But you're happy because you know it's coming. It's three months away, but you're still telling everybody you're leaving. Feeling all blessed just knowing it's coming. You can be like that little woman sitting at the bus stop waiting on the bus to arrive. Ain't arrived yet, but that's okay with her. She just sits and pats her foot and waits. Why? Because although it hasn't come, she knows it's on the way. So she's okay till it comes. Are you hearing me? When nothing is happening, just sit and wait patiently because the blessing is on the way. And it doesn't matter if it's spring, summer, winter, or fall, or midnight, or morning. I may have to weep a little at night, but don't worry about me because joy is coming in the morning. Simply because I'm blessed. 
I just sit at the bus stop and wait because I know the bus, the blessing is on the way. Because I know he won't leave me, nor will he forsake me. He may not be there when I want him, but he'll be there right on time. I asked the Lord what to be blessed means. He says it's the in uncanny, innate ability to succeed over adversity. Hmm. Innate. Means it's been there from the beginning. You were born with it. You were born blessed with the ability to overcome adversity. God put in you survival instincts. So if it's the uncanny, uncanny innate ability to succeed over adversity, then that tells me I can be blessed and still have adversity. He said it's the adversity that lets me know I'm blessed and highly favored of God. Because when I overcome adversity, I know had it not been for the Lord on my side, I would have not made it through it. You see, if you weren't going anywhere or favored by God, then he wouldn't be fighting you like he is. You see, every one of us was born in with a destiny and a purpose. But do you realize how many of us aren't walking in the spirit but are fulfilling the lust of our flesh? We're doing our plans and not God's plans. Just doing whatever we seem that's right in our own eyes. Well, those kind of folks sure don't worry our adversary. He's already, you're already defeated when you're out of the will of God. The enemy is just concerned about those who are answering their call to help advance the kingdom of God. He's come to kill, steal, and destroy you. You can tell when a person's blessed. It's not because they don't go through anything. But when you're blessed regardless of what you go through, hell or high water, you always come out of it and you live to fight another day. And you may have dirt under your fingernails where you had to scratch to survive. You may have calluses on your knees where you had to pray day and night to make it through. You may smell like smoke, but because you've been through the fire, but you're not even burned. When it's all said and done, when the dust settles, you come out blessed because no weapon formed against you shall prosper. They may slander you, gossip about you, hate on you, but it's not going to work. They can't curse what God has blessed. Somebody shout, I'm blessed. Some of you right now are going through the toughest struggles of your life. And I have come this morning to tell you the devil's a liar and it's not going to work. Regardless of the adversity, you're still going to be blessed. You were blessed going into this mess. And I want to tell you, you're going to be blessed coming out of this mess. Come on. I feel a breakthrough happening in this place today. Somebody just got a spiritual B12 side, and you just realized I am made more than a conqueror. I hear somebody saying, you mean this isn't going to destroy me? That's right. That trial he put you through last year didn't work. That trial you went through last week didn't work. This trial you went through last week didn't work. And this trial you're going through today isn't going going to destroy you either this sickness you have is not unto death it's so that your father can be glorified through your life somebody better grab that word I tell you I tell you what let's really make your enemy look like a fool today if anybody in this room has been through hell and you made it I want you again to stand to your feet as a testimony to God's blessing. Give God praise. Shout, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. Come on, somebody. I'm blessed. I feel the anointing of the Holy Spirit in this place. Hallelujah. Glory. Woo. <laughs> Ooh, be seated if you can.
This is what you got to understand. The devil knows you're blessed. And he's worried about it. You could become his worst enemy. You could punch holes in his kingdom. And he really wants to stop you. But in order for him to do what he wants to do to you, he knows he's got to get you out of your place of blessing, God's house. Whether it be your home, your marriage, your ministry, or your mission. Because if he takes you away from your place of blessing, he can mislead you into failure if he can get you to leave your father's house. He's got to do something to get you out of the house, your place of blessing. He just has to convince you you can have even more if you leave. As long as the younger brother was in his father's house, he was blessed. He had everything. So if the enemy could convince him the grass is greener on the other side, he could destroy him. If he left his place where God was blessing him, you know how the enemy convinces you? He uses temptation. And young people, you better be listening right here. Sweetheart, that little Romeo you think is all that ain't nothing but a joker trying to curse your life. If you're not careful, your enemy is using him to lure you out of the house, the place of blessing. You get it all right now. You're doing okay. But you leave your place of blessing, in six months, your whole life will be nothing but turmoil, and you'll be sitting all alone wondering, what happened? How did I get in this place? I'll tell you how. The enemy used someone to assist him in destroying you. He had an accomplice. That's how the Balaam doctrine operates. So don't get so upset with your daddy Every time you bring someone home to meet him, and when you get there, he starts cleaning his gun. <laughs> so what the enemy does, he places a spirit of restlessness on you that will cause you to pursue temptation, painting you a picture of false hope as to go searching for a pot of gold at the end of a rainbow. That spirit is dominating our culture today like never before, especially this young generation, our kids and our grandkids, my precious, sweet, beautiful grandchildren, if they have to sit silent for five minutes, it's, Papa, I'm bored. <laughs> you don't want to know what is causing our society to go mad with the rest of spirits? Searching the world for something the world can't give them other than pleasure for a season. Then it chews them up and it spits them out broken and bruised. We even try to buy our way out of our misery. Our country is trying to buy our way out of our misery. We're over $22 trillion in debt, and we want to keep spending money trying to make this place a better place. There's nothing going to make this world a better place but God. You want to know what's causing Christian men and women to give up their salvation to pursue things of the flesh? You want to know what's even causing grown men and women to do things you never dreamed they would do, such as walk out on 30 years of marriage? It's a spirit. It's a restless spirit. It causes you not to be committed or faithful to anyone. It causes you not to be patient. Let patient do its perfect work. It causes people to be willing to leave their place of blessing and be sifted by Satan. Wake up, people. When I'm talking about staying in a blessed place, I'm talking about staying in a place of covering where the riches of God are coming to pass in your life to a place of contentment where you realize, as Paul did, 
You're blessed whether you're abased or abounding, whether you have little or have a lot, whether you flee from the very presence of evil. You don't go and become unequally yoked. There are four blessed places you've got to stay in and hold on to, and don't let nobody lure you out of these places of God's blessings. There are places that God blesses you in. Number one, stay in the sanctity of marriage. Marriage is important to God. He instituted and declared he blesses it between a man and a woman. It's more than a civil contract with the state of Missouri. It is a covenant that's been made with God. And he has to bless it. So invest your life in the covenant of marriage. You vowed for richer or poorer, better or worse, in sickness and health. You vowed it. You're to keep it. It is a place of blessing. And a restless spirit will cause you to walk out of it. 60% of marriages end in divorce, in and out of the church. People walking out of the place of blessing because of a restless spirit that leads to temptation. And many end up in a place of destruction. Majority of them, either one or both parties, when they dissolve their marriage, they enter into the world for a season where Satan can attempt to destroy them. I see it all the time. It is a covenant. It is a shelter. It's a shelter for your passions and intimacy and even your dysfunctions. It's a gift God has given to you when he saw it wasn't good for you to be alone. The next best place to hold on to is your ministry. Don't give up or leave your ministry. It's a place where God blesses you and through you. I've seen many throw in the towel and then go sit and become lost, bitter, analytical, wounded. Don't leave your place of blessing. Just because it gets hard at times, stay in the house. People who don't stay in the place of blessing don't do well when they leave it. The next place of blessing, the church house, God's house. Stay in the house. This place is so much more than a social club. Because when God gets ready to send a word of deliverance and shower his people with blessings, if you're not here in his house, you can't hear it and you can't receive it. You know, somebody really needed to hear this message today. But they didn't come. And no matter how much you tell them tomorrow what God did today, they still can't receive the electrifying touch of God because you had to be here to get the full effect of his power. When God is blessing this place, you got to stay in God's house. Watch someone who gets out of church and watch them stumble and fall prey to the enemy. When the glory hammer falls, you got to be right here under it for you to experience the power of it. You miss church, you miss his blessings. And number four, you got to stay in the place of your mission for God, your calling. That's your purpose. That's your call. And you got to have a focus, and you have to stay focused upon what that is. Because the enemy will try to move you away from your marriage, move you away from your ministry, Move you away from your church. Move you away from your purpose for God. There's been a lot of folks backslide over bass boats and shopping sprees, church. If your enemy can get you to come out of the first place of blessing, he believes he can get you to, he, to curse yourself just like Balaam did. 
So the only thing you have to worry about is cursing yourself. Your blessing is not predicated upon what people think. It's not held up by who dislikes you, who don't believe in you, or who's hating on you. When God gets ready to bless you, he's going to bless you in spite of what folks think about you. He'll even use your enemy to bless you if he has to. When God gets ready to open a door, he'll prepare a table for you in the presence of your enemy. The only thing you have to worry about is that you don't curse yourself. You see, the enemy knew the only way he could get his hands on the prodigal son was for him to convince him to leave the father's house. How many know your enemy plots against you and he waits for you to catch you when you're most vulnerable, to seduce you, to, to seduce you, but he can't curse what God has blessed. So unless you put yourself in places where God can't bless you, he can't destroy you. So he sent a restless spirit upon this boy. We've never seen so many restless spirits on people as we do now. Folks, it's in and out of the church. Folks can't sit still. They can't wait. They can't commit to nothing. In and out, up and down, over here, over there, restless spirits. Everybody's wondering what's going on. I'm trying to tell you. Our enemy is at work, and what he's doing is working. And I've come to tell you and expose his tactics to you. Folks don't know what to do because they don't know what they even want. They want this. Then they want that. Then that is not what they want. They'd rather have this. Causing chaos in this generation. And God is not the author of confusion. Nothing satisfies. Nothing's long-term. Attention spans are five minutes and shrinking. I heard a woman say one Sunday at a restaurant, I won't sit under a long-winded preacher. If he can't tell me what he wants me to know in 20 minutes, I'm out of there. Why? A restless spirit. Now, I'm fixing to get real right here with you. I'm fixing to say some things that need to be said probably a long time ago. But many won't say. If we don't start being relevant and dealing with things so that we can counter the plots of our enemy, we're going to be a society that's going to be like a runaway train. So let me first remind you, I love you. So you know what I say. I say out of love to you. People always in a hurry. Faster, faster, faster. Everything we build, everything we do, everything we order must be faster. People get up, spend two hours getting ready to come to church. They drive here, rush in to get a seat, sit there, and in 15 minutes they're ready to go. They're already restless. After 10 minutes into a sermon, some even pull out their iPhones and sit and text folks who aren't even here. And when the altar call starts, they hit the doors to hurry home to climb into that recliner and flip channel after channel, never watching anything. And we got young folks who want to be older. And we got older folks putting on short dresses trying to look younger. We got folks who got long hair cutting it off. We got people with no hair gluing it on. <laughs> folks who have a job quitting their job and people who don't have a job, they're out looking for a job. Folks, this factory quitting to work at that factory. Folks, that factory quitting to go to work at this factory. It is a restless spirit. Folks who are married want to be single. Folks who are single want to be married. 
You want to get rid of your husband and single women are waiting at the door shouting, throw him over here. <laughs> and when they get him, they want to throw him back to you. <laughs> Amen? We got folks selling $150 Nike shoes for $15 at their yard sale. When mama had to work overtime to buy them, but now you don't want them. Nike got a new style coming out. Mama got to go work late again. Men and women on Facebook turning it into a playbook. I don't have to go any farther with that one. If that's you, you know what I'm talking about. Your wife's in the kitchen cooking while you're on the internet looking for your next wife. A restless spirit. It's a runaway spirit that causes you to run away from the places of blessing. When a runaway spirit gets down deep inside of you, you sit over here and you wish you would have sat over there. So you move over there, and now you want to be back over here. You got a closet full of clothes, and yet you got nothing to wear. You can't have it both ways, folks. Folks want their cake and eat it too. Jesus said, you cannot serve two masters. You can't have one foot in the church and one foot in the world and be blessed. God has places that he puts you in to bless you. And Satan will send a runaway spirit into your life. This spirit is destroying marriages today. First time it gets a little bit rough to make ends meet, someone wants to run away. If you don't plant your feet, you're always going to be running away. This spirit will cause you to run away from your marriage, your ministry, your church, your call. And if the enemy can get you away from the house, the place of blessing is going to destroy you and your stuff. He's come to kill, steal, and destroy you. And the Lord has sent me to get this urgent message to somebody who is in a faith fight considering giving up and running away. To tell you, stay in the Father's house. I don't care what's going on. Even if you feel like nobody cares, stay. Even if you're wounded or discouraged, stay. Even if you're broke, busted, and discouraged, stay. Even if you're going through hell or high water, stay in the house of the Lord. Because they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up like wings of an eagle. They shall run and not get weary, and they shall walk and not faint. Hallelujah. The biggest mistake this young man made was his restless spirit caused him to leave the house. And as a result, he becomes a prodigal. Prodigal means reckless. The enemy sent the reckless spirit on the boy. Then he began to tempt him. Restless folks are vulnerable. The enemy gave him an itch that he had to scratch. Then he would speak to him. Come on. Come on out and play. You don't know what you're missing. You can have it all. The grass is greener over here. Somebody in this house has heard this voice before. And somebody's heard it and you went out to play. And I ask you, how's that working for you? Yeah, God's talking to you. Come on, just a little further. A little bit further. You're almost there. Come on out where I can reach you. I tried to kill you in that car wreck, but I just couldn't reach you. I tried to take you out when you were in the hospital, 
but I just couldn't get to you. But if I can get to you and get you out from under his blessings, get you to walk from it, from it all, walk away, I'll get you. Come on out. I've been trying to drive you crazy for some time now. I've been trying to get you to have a nervous breakdown. You've been blaming your husband. It's been me all along, trying to convince you you need a better man, one with money. Come on, just a little bit closer. Come on out. Come on out of the house so I can touch you. The prodigal son gave into his restless spirit. He bought into just do it. When he first came out, things weren't that bad, though. Matter of fact, he was living it up. He had friends and good times. I'm sure he thought to himself, I should have done this a long time ago. You see, when you've been blessed, you can walk out and remain blessed for a little while. But when your pleasure becomes sin, sin separates you from God and blessings and his blessings, and you curse yourself. Sin only has pleasure for a season. He was living up, believing he had the best of both worlds. That's what restless people want, both. The scripture implies that if you stay out long enough away from the blesser, you'll start spending your substance in riotous living. Another word I'd like to use here is unrighteous living. And I'm so glad it said he spent his substance because if it just said he spent his money, then you might come to believe the only thing you lose when you live unrighteous is your money. When the truth is you lose so much more than money Things money can't even buy. Let me tell you the real deal when you start living unrighteous. You lose more than your finances. You lose stuff a whole much more valuable. Your integrity. Your reputation. Your respect. Your self-esteem. Your self-respect. Your home. Your family. Your marriage. Your friends. You can't afford to lose your substance. Your salvation. What does a man profit to gain the whole world only to lose his soul? There's someone right now in this house, God's dealing with you, and he's drawing at your heart, and he's saying to you, don't go any further. Come back home. Because you cannot afford to lose stuff that matters, your substance, that stuff that God made out of you out of to where you can take a licking and keep on ticking. See, I want to tell you something, folks. You can lose your job, and you can get another job. You can lose your house, and you can get another house. You can lose your hair, and you can get some more hair. But if you lose your substance, your enemy will destroy you. He spent his substance, and once he had things begin to change, his pleasures were fixing to turn into shame. The whole time, the enemy's saying, come on, just a little bit further. Sin will take you further than you want to go and keep you longer than you want to stay. The Bible says that when he spent all he had, a famine arose in the land. Well, not only in the land, in his case, it also arose in his life because he was famished. He had no substance left, no friends left, no parties left, no food left. See, some stuff can't happen until you go broke. As long as you've got a little anointing still in you, as long as you got a little shout here and there still in you, as long as you got a little thank you, Jesus, left in you, when you're not quite at the bottom of the barrel, but when you go broke, when you lose your substance, you become famished. Your enemy will kick you when you're down. 
He convinces you to take one more step while he rejoices believing it will be your last step. By this young man being now in want shows us where his relationship with his father is now at. Because when you get in want, guess what happens? You become desperate. This is why Yermi goes in for the kill. Because desperate people are willing to do desperate things. This young man has now gone from restless to desperate. A restless spirit will land you in desperation if not dealt with. So to survive, he attaches himself to this citizen in a far-off land. Now let me make an observation here for you. If we really want to know who we are, look at who you run with. Who have you attached yourself to? Who do you run with? Because people run in packs. Birds of a feather flock together. Gossipers will run with gossipers. And all liars will form a club. And backbiters gather together at the restaurant after service for lunch. Don't be upset you don't fit in because you're a praying woman. Be careful about sitting there frustrated because they didn't invite you. Maybe God is protecting you. So quit crying about who don't like you and who don't call you and who don't come to visit you. Who you attach yourself to is important. Don't become unequally yoked. Desperation will cause you to compromise and hook up with folks you shouldn't. You're just ready to get married. You don't care if he's a Christian or not, but you will down the road. You might be lonely, but at least you're saved. Maybe you're crying yourself to sleep, but you still got your dignity. You may have to eat all by yourself, but at least you still got your respect. Watch who you get tied up with. Intentionally and wisely choose your company. Some of you need to cut some folks loose. Some of y'all need to defriend some people on your Facebook accounts. I don't mind running with people who don't have nothing, but I do got a problem running around with someone who don't want to be nothing. I don't want to be tied up with someone who don't have no desire for the things of God. Grandma said if you lay down to dogs, you're going to get up with fleas. I need to be around folks who lift me up and don't tear me down and who encourage me and don't discourage me. If you're not going to help me, please cut me loose. He was so desperate. He was willing to do anything. The enemy had him right where he wanted him. He agrees to work on a pig farm, feeding swine all day, a place far cry from where he was raised. The enemy's loving this, and he's fixing to come in for the kill. All that was around him was swine. Have you ever been around and look around and all you see is swine? Swiney folks? Swiney folks can't encourage you. They got more problems than themselves. They can't help anyone else else. The prodigal had taken one more step into life. And you can always tell when you're about to take your last step. Because when it's your last step, you start to look at things different. Things that never looked good to you begin to look good to you. Things you said you would never do, you're willing to do. Desperation pushes you to cross the line. He was so famished, he began to desire to eat what the pigs were eating. If you get desperate enough, you'll find yourself desiring to do things you used to criticize other folks for doing. This was the final straw, the end of the road, the last step. So here he is, desperate. Desiring to eat what the pigs eat. 
I can see him reaching down about to pick up a handful of slop. Here he is about to. He's almost done it. Everybody in this room has got stuff in your past that you almost done. And looking back, you thank God that you didn't do it. It was a trap, a snare the enemy had set for you to take you out to destroy your dignity, your self-esteem, your marriage, your ministry. There's some folks in here right now, the Word of God is here to rescue you before you make a horrible mistake because you've almost. Demons are, are rejoicing. Satan's shouting, I got him. There's folks in here, you've been lonely and depressed, and you have almost. That's why I praise him like I praise him. I praise him for forgive me of what I did do, but I also praise him for keeping me from what I almost did all the more. I was tempted to do a lot more than I did. If I would have, it would have destroyed me. I would have took my last step to failure. I can't tell you all the things I thought about and almost did, but I can tell you, had it not been for the Lord on my side, I don't know where I'd be today. I might have been dead by now. I might be insane by now. I might be in jail by now. But when I look back and know what I know now, I can see all the snares the enemy set for my life. He literally tried to kill me at one point. But my God wouldn't let him. And that's why you're still here too. It's amazing how God will stop by in the nick of time when you're about to take your last step and save you. I hear people all the time after going through close calls with death say things such as, well, God must have something else for me to do. I should have been dead. He must not be through with me yet. You got that right. If you're not dead, God's not finished. Right when he was about to take his last step, the Bible says, then suddenly he came to himself. Hallelujah. I remember the day and the hour I came to myself. Don't you? I remember February 24th, 1997, in my bedroom at 10.03 p.m. I repented, and I came to myself. God showed up, and he rescued my life. You see, when he came to himself, the enemy's plan was over. His eyes had been opened. He began to realize he went too far. He don't belong there. And he declared, I'm going home. I'm going back to my father's house. I'm going back to the place of blessing. The servants have it better back there than I have it here. I'm going to go back and serve my father. And to anyone and everyone that's left their place of blessing, are you getting this? There is a way back to the father's house, to the place of blessing. And your heavenly father is speaking to you today, come home. He went home and he humbled himself before his father and said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you and he repented. That's all you have to do to come home. And the Bible says when the young man was arriving back home, his father had been waiting on him all this time. And as soon as he saw him, he ran and embraced his son. I come to tell you today there is a heavenly father waiting on somebody today to come back home. And there is a church here ready to embrace you today. If my musicians will come, and would you please stand?